0: Welcome back to the AP World History Podcast. This week we're taking a look at the empires in collision in chapter 19 of the Strayer text. Um, Mainly what we're looking at here is the Europeans' influence on the three major regions of China, the Ottomans, and Japan. And we're going to see the two failed um, attempts at modernizing and uh, resisting the Europeans in China and the Ottomans. And we're going to see Japan say, hey, we can do better than that. And uh, we'll see them do better than that and uh, westernize and become uh, as European as they can, but also still being Chinese. Um, now, uh, so those are going to be our three areas that we look at. And one thing to keep in mind here before we dive into things, we got to know, well, why are the Europeans doing this? What's, what's going on with the Europeans that allows this? One, remember that they've got the rivalry and their military technology is above everyone else's, so they can go out and conquer people. And they're looking to not fight each other, so they're going to conquer each other um or conquer other territories and influence other territories uh two uh they're dominating the trade now where it used to be that uh china dominated the trade now the europeans do uh third thing is um the european culture uh is looking to push and expand and spread their ideas and knowledge uh, as well as the european population is growing so you've got uh, more people that you can go send out now They won't be anywhere near as big as some of these regions we look at, like China, Uh, but uh, they have more people, and also they have the technology to be able to pull all this off. Um, So uh, we see uh, them being in the driver's seat to be able to really dictate to these empires that have, uh, for the most part through history, dictated kind of to them. So the tables are turning. Um, So uh, we're going to start with China here. Uh, one thing before I dive into things is if my voice sounds a little bit more raspy or nasally than, than usual, I apologize for that. I've been dealing with some allergies here in the spring. So, uh, we'll see if it, if, uh, I cough a lot, I apologize, but, uh, hopefully everything comes through nice and nice and good and clear for you. So, uh, now diving into China, uh, what we're going to see is about a hundred years of crisis for China after this. Uh, it's not going to be fixed until we get to the communist revolution, uh, it'll go in from 46 to 49 in China and we'll see China finally retake control. But even after the communist revolution, we won't see them come up as a major power until actually more, uh, modern times here when they decide to, uh, be more capitalistic than, uh, communistic with their economy. Um, so let's set the scene a little bit. Uh, one. Uh, China has a much larger population uh, from what they were when we were looking at the early dynasties, like the Ming, or not the early dynasties, but the Ming dynasty and and, and the Qing dynasty. Uh, from 1685 to 1853, their population increased from 100 million to 430 million people. That's a huge chunk, and there's a problem with this. Um, one, uh, they didn't industrialize along with this so they they didn't necessarily have to because they had a lot of uh labor to be able to do things and they could produce a lot in their systems they had so they didn't industrialize um expansion kind of stopped they expanded over land uh into tibet and um over into um uh, uh, northwestern, orders today, northwestern China. I can't remember what that region is, but it's by the Taklamakan Desert. Uh, they expanded into Mongolia and Manchuria. And so they took over these new regions. Uh, but after that, they, they kind of held their borders as much as they could and didn't look to go beyond them too much. And um, the larger government, uh, they didn't really make a larger government. Uh they kind of kept it how it was. It was still the traditional system and so um when you start to get in there or bad leadership, uh we start to see the dynastic uh, not the dynastic cycle but the mandate of heaven um uh, start to be taken away uh because you see them not taking care of their taxes, uh you see flood controls uh going away Uh, are not being repaired like they need to be uh, welfare and and security issues are going on. So uh, people are starting to see their their chinks in um, the dynasty. And so uh, we'll eventually see the Qing dynasty, which is the one ruling at this time in this time period. Uh, We'll see them uh, be taken out about 11 years after our time frame in 1911 uh, by a group known as the Nationalists or the Kuomintang uh, under a guy named Sun Yat-san. Now, uh, all those things then because, again, that dynastic cycle is going on led to uh, local lords getting more power, uh, bandits and, and peasants, um, or, or sorry, bandits uh, roaming the countryside and not having anything, anyone stopping them, and also peasant revolts. Um, so uh, a couple of these things that we see are like the uh, Taiping Uprising, uh, which is from 1850 to 1864, and uh, this is a really interesting uh, revolution here or, uh, revolt, I should say, cause it's not successful. Uh, it almost was. Uh, but, um, what we see here is it, it's a Christian group, uh, and they wanted to end the traditional way China was doing things. And so, uh, they tried to establish a new society. Uh, they wanted to base it around railroads. Um, and they wanted to, um, kind of get rid of the old ways things were done. Uh, women were less restricted. um, in the Hakka group, which was this Christian group that was leading this, uh, they fought against foot binding and, um, they allowed women to be bureaucrats and, uh, own land. Uh, but this is going to be a problem for them in in trying to bring the rest of China into it because they're really going against the grain of society. So, um, they, uh, they will will do some great stuff, and they will really threaten the Qing dynasty. But it's going to be an unsuccessful revolution because the other rev- the other peasant revolts that rise up in in response to the Taiping uprising uh, will not join them because of these differences. Um, so uh, they they kind of take over the the region of Nanjing is where they're really successful. But then um, they'll be crushed because uh, the local lords will step up and um, they'll get help from the Western, uh, the Western militaries who don't want to see an uprising and a change in government because they control the Qing dynasty and they want to keep the Qing dynasty weak so they can get as much out of it. Uh, but, uh, as you can guess, um, this severely weakened the, the Qing dynasty then. And so now, uh, by the end of this, I mean, it's, it's, it takes another, uh, 50 years or so, uh, but, or roughly 50 years, but, Within that, within about a generation, two generations, uh, the Qing Dynasty is done, um, and and from this uh, little revolt, uh, about twenty to thirty million people died. Um. Then, uh, other thing I want to talk about. So you had the you have the pressure from internal. You also have an external pressure. We brought up that the Western Europeans are trying to colonize and uh the biggest uh incident of this that we see are the opium wars uh britain wants to get a uh, positive trade balance they're still following mercantilism they want to be able to uh, not lose all their silver into china through the silver trade like we've seen going on and so they uh find out that uh, the chinese like opium and hey opium grows really well or the poppies uh that you get opium from grow really well over in india which they have a as a colony now so Uh, They decide to grow a lot of uh, poppies and um, (coughs) they then um, send it to China to sell uh, because it's not legal in Britain um so some hypocritical things going on there but it's all about making money uh you got to do that so they illegally trade it with uh smugglers and stuff like that they get silver then they take that silver and buy the chinese goods uh but this all means that they're uh making a a profit on their uh trading when they bring it back to britain so they've they've uh, fixed that trade imbalance and so uh the chinese realize this they try to crack down on it uh you get some incidents that happen around uh what is modern day Hong Kong uh in the Canton region. And uh that leads to the first Opium War. Uh Britain will win that pretty easily with their modern army. Uh they um uh really break China. Uh they get as much out of it as they can. Uh they'll eventually get Hong Kong uh and access to five other ports or four other ports. Um they'll get reparations for things and then uh the, the Chinese, the Qing dynasty, will not like this and will uh, eventually start pushing back against it. And that will lead to a second opium war uh, just about 15 years later. Um, the first one was 1842. The second one goes from 1856 to 58, And that one doesn't only bring in uh, Britain, but it also brings in France. The U.S. gets slightly involved. Russia gets slightly involved in other European powers that want to have a say in China. Um, they, they all get involved. And so uh, we see them easily beat the Qing dynasty again uh, again, this severely weakens the Qing dynasty. Uh, this is part of the reason why you see the, uh, Taiping rebellion that we talked about. Um, not the second one, but the first one. Uh, but this is, uh, building off of that. you can see that this is happening during that Taiping rebellion. So, uh, the Qing dynasty is very weak at this time. And, uh, the, the Qing dynasty will then lose Vietnam. They'll lose Korea. They'll lose Taiwan from their territories. Um, The Brits will gain uh, Hong Kong indefinitely, although they'll eventually give that back in 1999, I believe is when they gave it back, uh, if I remember the dates off the top of my head. Um, uh, They get more access, and also the other European nations get spheres of influences in uh, China so that they can trade with those regions, and Christianity is said to be okay. They can't kick the Christians out or quick uh, kick uh, Christian uh, missionaries out. Uh, however Christianity won't uh, I mean take a huge foothold it's not going to overtake Confucianism Taoism and, and Buddhism it's not gonna make much of a dent into those in comparison but uh, it, it does it's it's allowed to happen now um, so why why did this happen uh, that's kind of the big question why couldn't China rise to the occasion here I mean they have a, a much larger population they should have been able to modernize and and do that kind of stuff but they they didn't Um one is because their population, you didn't necessarily need to modernize to to make a lot of stuff. Uh, They had the resources to to make it. Uh, They could make enough to supply uh, what they needed to do for trade. And um, so they didn't necessarily feel like they needed to modernize and it would have caused a major drastic or a major shift in in the culture, uh, which is what we saw with Britain uh, and then the rest of Europe uh, with, with how it displaces peasants and and things like that. And if you remember Confucianism, you've got the social rankings of the uh, king, and then the bureaucrats at the top, and then you got the peasants, and then you got the artisans, and you've got then the merchants below that. Well, to really push for industrialization the people that would want it are going to be your merchants and your artisans, and really it's going to be more your merchants, and they're viewed as the scum of the society. So uh, you you don't want to give in to them, and you don't want to do that kind of stuff. So um, you're going to push against that. So it kind of goes against the culture of the time, whereas Europe was very much open to those ideas. Uh, also, uh, the government did try to do some reforms uh, to make it better, to lessen corruption. They tried to fix the exam system. They tried to rebuild um, uh, infrastructure. They tried to create new factories, and they tried to buy our technology from the Europeans. Uh, but it was always only limited. They didn't fully go and try to dive into it uh, because if if the government steps in more it's going to lessen the power of the landlords and they don't want to see that and um it's going it, to it could give the peasants uh, it'll, it's going to take some of the peasants away from the farms and the landlords need the peasants on the farms to make their money and to get their crops and other things like that so uh, they instead just rely on Europe for all those maybe manufactured goods that they might need um also uh we see just the general people rebelling against or not wanting to westernize not just the country or the the monarchy uh the dynasty not doing stuff to help out with it uh we see the people in general with the boxer rebellion where the uh the people rise up in uh beijing and try to kick out all the foreigners and uh this will lead to the europeans jumping in again uh to quell that uh, little rebellion going on to make sure they get to keep their interest in there um So uh, what the Boxer Rebellion was, just in a a little bit of uh, an explanation here, uh, is you had these groups um, that wanted to see China take over control of its government again and not be um, second or or influenced too much by these uh, European powers that have the spheres of influence. So they stood up and tried to beat up uh, any Westerners, uh, and they hoped to maybe um, modify and modernize the government a little bit. But, um, again, the Europeans stepped in and kept that from happening. And again, because the Qing dynasty couldn't modify or couldn't improve things and make things better. Uh, we, we, again, see them still going on a a downward spiral until we get to 1911, where after more and more and more failed reforms, um, you have the fall of it, uh, to, the, the Kuomintang, or the nationalist, uh, led by Sun Yat again, and so um, that, uh, th- after that, uh, China is still going to be dominated by the Europeans, primarily, and also then the Japanese, when we get to uh, World War II, uh, where the Japanese will just run all over uh, China, and so, Um, the, the incidences that we're seeing here in the mid 1800s, uh, will still have an impact going into the modern era into our next unit, uh, with things. And it's not until really the 1980s when we see China really start to become more capitalistic. Uh, that leads us to today where now they're looking to be one of the, the superpowers in the world, uh, ranking against or or counterbalancing the United States. So, um, that's kind of China in a nutshell at this, uh, point in history. Uh, Next up, we'll look at the the Ottomans and why uh, the Ottoman Empire falls behind.